the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. One particular thing that I want to share with you today that's the primary point for us this weekend, and then we'll look at two points that are subpoints to this one point. And here's the thing I want you to remember from this weekend to make marriage work, you must pursue what? Peace. This is God's plan for you. God's plan for every marriage is that you and I would pursue this thing called peace because you and I function best in an environment of peace, and peace is God's plan. In fact, we see all throughout the pages of Scripture that God is described as the God of peace, the God who gives peace. In description of the coming Messiah, Isaiah said he would be known as the Prince of Peace. And so peace is a part of who God is. Let me walk you through several passages that highlight this call to peace, this pursuit of peace that we've been given in Scripture. Romans 14, verse 17. For the kingdom of God, whose kingdom is it? God's kingdom. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness. What's the next word? Peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Where God shows up, where his kingdom rules, you'll see three main characteristics, righteousness, peace, and joy. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace as in all the congregations of the Lord's people. So Paul is saying, you've got to remember that God doesn't stir up trouble. God is not the God who creates disturbance and war zones. No, God is the God of peace, not of disorder, but of peace. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11. Finally, brothers and sisters, rejoice. Strive for full restoration. Encourage one another. Be of one mind. Live in peace. And the God of love and peace will be with you. Colossians three fifteen. Let the peace of Christ rule where? In your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace and be thankful. What we're told here is that to have peace, if you will, in our homes, we must have peace in our hearts. You can't have peace in a home if there's an absence of peace within your own heart. James chapter 3, the apostle James connects this idea of peace with the wisdom of God. Let me read you a few verses here. If you're wise and understand God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you're bitterly jealous and there is selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder. There's that same Greek word again. There's chaos, if you will. You'll find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also, notice that statement, it is also peace-loving. God's wisdom creates peace. It is peace-loving, gentle at all times and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and good deeds. It shows no favoritism. 
uh, and is always sincere, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. So there you see that wisdom, the wisdom of God, is associated with peace. Let me take you now to Romans chapter 12, verses 17 and 18. Never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you're honorable. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Notice the statement. Do all that you can to do what? Live in peace with the people you like. No. It's to live in peace with everyone. It is easy to live in peace with people that everything's going well with, but we're told to live in peace with everyone. This is a call of God to each of us as followers of Jesus Christ. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Now, I would ask you this question, does everyone include your spouse? Everyone includes your spouse. It includes your husband. It includes your wife. It includes your kids, your family environment. And sometimes we're actually nicer to the people outside of our families than we are to the people inside our very own homes. And so we're called to make sure that we are focused on and pursuing peace in every relationship. Now, the question becomes, how do we do this? I'm going to share with you, as I said, two major things. But before I do, I want to give you a little hint as to how this works. In Galatians chapter 5, we see how we're able to do this, and then we'll look at the practical principles that go along with it. The Bible says, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Let's stop there for a moment. What is fruit? Fruit is the result of being attached to a source. And the Bible says that we have a source for good fruit in our life. And as believers, what is that source? It is the Holy Spirit. The third person of the Trinity comes to live inside of you when you accept Christ in your life. When you invite Him to fill you, the Holy Spirit is able to produce in you this kind of fruit. And here's the kind of fruit that God works in your life through His Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. I want you to think about these words for a moment. If the Holy Spirit is really at work in our lives, He's producing this kind of fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those nine fruit of the Spirit, there are nine words that are listed there. Would you agree with me if you had those nine things at work in your life and at work in your family, your house would be a lot better place to live? And the Bible says it's the Holy Spirit that will produce that kind of fruit in you and me. And so to have this peace in our families, we have to have peace in our lives through relationship with God and through the grace and power of His Spirit. So as we're growing in Christ and learning how to follow Him and being filled with His Spirit, this fruit can become evident. But there are also some practical things that we can do to make this possible as well. So I'm going to talk to you today about two practical things that you can do to actually have this peace in your marriage relationship. And the first one practically to do this will help you in this regard is to learn and discover the differences between you and your spouse. A lot of times couples are fighting over just basic differences. Things that are neither right nor wrong or good or bad, they're just differences. They're just differences in in personality. People have different personalities and different ways of doing things and different backgrounds and family backgrounds and experiences. Let's talk about these for a moment, the differences that we have in our families, our marriage relationships. You know, the Bible acknowledges 
the reality of differences in, in individuals. Let me take you to Genesis chapter 25, verse 27, and you'll take note of the sons, the twin sons of Isaac and Rebekah. Their names were Esau and Jacob, and the Bible goes to, great, goes to detail here to describe the differences in these two boys. Notice what it says. And as the boys grew up, now remember they're twin boys, born at the same time. Esau became a skillful hunter. He was an outdoorsman, but what did Jacob have? He had a quiet temperament, preferring to do what? Stay at home. What I want you to see from that is even the Bible acknowledges the differences in personalities. The second thing I want to note today is this. If we're going to build peace in our families and pursue it, we have to learn to accept or appreciate the positives in our spouse. All of us by nature, when we're born in the world, we're born as sinners. Not a single one of us are born saints, we're born sinners. We have to be redeemed from our sin by relationship with Christ. That's why Jesus came as as the one who saves us from our sins. He transforms us. And even as believers in Christ, we still struggle with a tendency to sin. And part of the the tendency to sin is to be self-centered. I've told you before, even the very word sin itself, what is in the center of the word? I, okay? I is in the center. So we're very self-centered by nature. And when you and I are self-centered, it means that we can easily become critics of other people, fault finders of other people, and we can very easily fall prey to complaining. In fact, oftentimes we have a tendency to spend a lot of our energy, especially in marriage, criticizing our spouse, finding fault with our spouse, and complaining about the way things are going in our relationship. Now, You have to understand that's part of the sinful nature. If you criticize someone long enough, you will become contemptuous toward them. And contempt means this, you've lost respect for them. And the way you know you've lost respect is you you use a lot of sarcasm with them or, or you roll your eyes when they say something. There are various ways that you demonstrate contempt. And according to those who do such research, psychological research and social psychology research, they've discovered that the number one cause for divorce in relationships is not finances, it's not communication, it's not sex, it's not all those things. The number one predictor of divorce in married couples is the presence of that when couples get to the place that they have contempt toward one another, the chances of that marriage relationship surviving begin to go down dramatically. Now, contempt doesn't happen overnight. As I said, contempt happens over a period of time when you're critical and find fault with those around you. Contempt starts with, generally, it starts with disappointment that you have toward a person. They didn't do what you wanted them to do, so you're disappointed at them. And along with that, sometimes there's hurt as well. So you've got hurt and disappointment as a part of it. If you don't deal with the hurt and disappointment, that becomes anger because you become angry about it. So you've got anger inside that's not resolved. Over a period of time, when you don't deal with your anger, that anger becomes resentment that you have toward the person. And then the resentment turns into bitterness when it's not dealt with, and bitterness results in contempt. This is how you get there, okay? It doesn't just happen overnight. It happens through a process of time. It is the most destructive thing you can ever have in your relationship. It's when you start nitpicking at one another. So how do we reverse this 
contempt. The way you reverse contempt, the way you reverse any of this aspect of this cycle that begins to happen in a relationship is by learning to appreciate the positives in your spouse. And what I want to do is I'm going to walk you through nine steps that you can take to appreciate the positives in your spouse. And these are very, very important to grasp. So let's take a look at them together. Number one, to do that, you've got to look for the good. You've got to look for the good in them. So you're going to see, you always see what you look for. Whatever you're looking for is what you see. It's what you find. What you focus on is what is magnified. Notice Philippians chapter 4, verse number 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, do what? Think about such things. Notice this, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or anything is praiseworthy, what are we told to do? Think about such things. Get those things in your head. Think about them. Be aware of them. The next thing that is necessary if we're going to actually appreciate the good is we have to reflect on the benefits in our marriage relationship. There are benefits that come to you from your spouse. You may not realize it at times because in the midst of negativity, we tend to ignore those benefits, but there are good things that come to your life through your spouse. The next thing that we do is to write. This is a good exercise for you. If you're going through a tough time in your marriage, you're having a hard time being aware of good things in your spouse, here's what I'd recommend that you do. You go and sit down and write a letter of recommendation for them, not recommending them to somebody else so they'll marry them. I'm not talking about that, okay? But a letter of recommendation, just like you would do for a friend. This is not to show your spouse. This is for you. Where you sit down, you have to think about all the good things that you want to write about them, just like you would with a friend. The next one, observe what other people appreciate. I'm going to give you a little insight here today. No matter how much you feel, how negative you feel towards your spouse, how many things you feel like are wrong with your spouse, you know there are other people that actually like your spouse? They actually have friends. Can you believe that, okay? Can you believe your husband has friends? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Can you believe that your wife has friends? It's hard to believe, isn't it? Yeah, they actually have friends. Well, I wonder what their friends see in them. Sometimes just to step back for a moment and ask the question, you know what? My my wife is liked by other people. They must see things in her that I need to be aware of. My husband is liked by other people. I wonder what they see in him that maybe I'm not seeing in them. What it does, again, it brings an awareness of the value that people have to your life. Because what you appreciate, appreciates. The next one is stop unrealistic what? comparisons. Second Peter chapter two, verse one. So abandon every form of evil. What's the next word there? Deceit. Notice that hypocrisy, feelings of jealousy and slander. It says, abandon it. Get it out of your life. Don't let it be a part of who you are or how you think. Get rid of it. Then number six, the sixth thing that is essential if you're going to appreciate your spouse is to consider what originally attracted you to that person. Why did I marry them in the first place? And then the next one here, if you and I are going to get past contempt, we have to soften our heart. I want to talk just for a moment about this one. This one is extremely important to soften your heart. I want you to track with me again. When you have contempt in your life, it starts, as I said a moment ago, with disappointment or hurt. We're disappointed. We're hurt. 
somebody doesn't do for us what we wanted or expected them to do, or they did something that hurt our feelings in some way. And at that moment, we make a choice. What am I going to do with this? If I don't resolve my disappointment and work through it, then that over, over time becomes anger. I get angry about it. So my anger begins to intensify. The more I let anger sit in me and I don't resolve the anger, as I said a moment ago, that anger results now in resentment because now I'm resenting this person and their impact on my life. Why, why are they doing this to me? And so it becomes bigger that every time you focus on anger, it gets bigger and resentment becomes a part of it. Then this, out of this resentment, you get bitter inside. You're bitter toward that person. Bitter as you've got a sour taste in your mouth, a sour mindset toward them. You're now bitter toward them. And out of bitterness comes, comes contempt. And, out, and this contempt makes you hard on the inside. Your heart gets hard. And when your heart gets hard, what often happens is you get past, the, you're not so much feeling pain anymore. What you begin to feel now is just numb on the inside in the relationship. There's nothing there between the two of you. So there's this distance that begins to exist over a period of time of just numbness. And that's where a lot of couples are. They've gotten to the place down this sequence of events to where they've gotten to the point they're just hardened on the inside toward one another. It's not even that at some point you're not even mad at each other anymore. You're just distant. There's just numbness there. I don't feel anything. I just feel, if I feel anything, there's the moments that I feel contempt for the relationship. And that's why contempt is the most significant predictor of divorce. Because when you get to that point, there's nothing else there, right? You've got numb. It's like, there's nothing else to do here. We're, just, we're living apart anyway. Why don't we just go ahead and move out? Why don't we just go ahead and separate? So that's what happens. You get to that numb point. You give up on the inside. And that's, that's a very dangerous place to be. And so you ask the question, what do you do when you get to that point? How do you resurrect the marriage at that point? Is there hope for a marriage? I really feel that right now, just, I'm going to talk, just say something for a moment. I feel the Holy Spirit nudging right now. There's somebody here today, probably several of you, that you are right there at that point right now, and you're about to give up. I want to tell you something. God can resurrect a dead marriage. I want to, over the years, we've seen it happen here. God can take people who are at that place, and by the grace and power of His Holy Spirit, God can resurrect a dead marriage. But you have to be willing to deal with it. You have to let God begin to soften your heart. And to soften your heart, here's how he softened your heart. I'm going to give you the word. You've got to start a process of forgiveness. Because the only thing that cures a hardened heart toward a person is a willingness to extend grace to them. And to extend grace means that you choose to forgive. You begin the process, and it is a process of praying your way through your pain. And bringing your pain to God and saying, God, I want you to know that I'm really hurt. What's going on in me? I know that it looks like I'm really numb. But if I trace my numbness all the way back where it started, God, there's a root system. There's a root that started in my life in this, with this person where I was deeply disappointed. I've been deeply hurt by them. I'm carrying this pain inside. And while it feels numb right now, I know it goes back to a seed of resentment, a seed of bitterness, a seed, if you will, of disappointment and hurt. And now, God, I'm bringing this honestly before you, and I'm asking you, Lord, to begin the process of helping me to forgive and helping me to love and helping me to make the right choices in my relationship toward this person and 
Here's what you must understand when you begin this process of forgiveness. You never feel like doing it. It's not what you feel like doing. It's doing what you know is the right thing to do. And you can actually pray your way back into a softened heart. Can I hear an amen right there? God can do this for you. Okay? But you have to understand that he's asking you to be willing to let him do this in you. He will not do this without your invitation. You have to invite him to do this in your life, understanding it's what he's called us to do, to walk in love. Let me take you to a couple of passages as we're wrapping up here today. Jesus' words here, Matthew 5, 43 and 44. Jesus said, there's a saying, love your friends and hate your enemies. He said, you know, there's a saying out here in the world. People are saying it all the time. Love your friends, hate your enemies. You've probably heard that before, right? But... I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. Now, you might say, well, that verse, what does it have to do with marriage? I'll tell you what it has to do with marriage. A lot of times we make our spouse our enemy. We've gotten to the place where we're so hardened to that person and so angry about things, so numb on the inside, that although we're living in the same household, we consider them an enemy to our lives. And Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for those who hurt you. Pray for those who disappointed you. Pray for those who persecute you. You've got to make the decision to love them and pray for them. And what's happening here, Jesus knows what he's talking about because this is the way to soften your heart. As you do this, your heart gets softer and softer. Luke 6, 32 and 33. If you love only those who love you, why should you get credit for that? Even sinners love those who love them. Got that point? Jesus said, if you love people that love you, what's the big deal? It's easy to love anybody that loves you. If you're doing good to people who are good to you, hey, what's the big deal? Don't get any credit for that. And if you do good to only those who do good to you, why should you get credit? Even sinners do that much. Jesus is saying, you've got to learn how to love the people who are not always loving back to you. You've got to learn to make the decision to, uh, to open your heart and do good to those who may not be doing good to you. It's the value that Jesus places upon softening our heart through love and good deeds toward one another. And that leads me to the next thing that is essential. We have to practice the golden rule. What is the golden rule? Jesus gave it to us in Luke 6, 31. Very succinctly, he said, do to others as you would like them to do to you. Would that transform your relationships? If you treated other people the way you wanted them to treat you. And the last thing I'll give you here, if you're going to appreciate your spouse in a wonderful way, is to learn to affirm what you appreciate. Here's the key word, affirm. To affirm is this. To affirm is to speak out what you have, have, have considered a value. Notice Proverbs 15, verse number 1. The Bible says a gentle answer, soft, tender words, we might say. What does it do? It deflects anger. You can change the entire environment of an, an atmosphere, of a relationship by the way that you speak. A gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. Next verse here, take notice of this, Colossians three fifteen. We read it a few moments ago and with this one. I'm going to conclude today, but I want to highlight something specifically from this passage. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. Notice again, the topic here is peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. For as members of one body, you are called to be in peace and always be thankful. Notice this very clearly. There are three sentences in this verse. The first two sentences, the subject of the first two sentences 
are the words, is the word that I circle. What is that word? Peace. And let the peace that comes from Christ rule in your hearts. The subject of uh, sentence number one is, it's all about peace. Sentence number two, for as members of one body, you're called to live in peace. Again, the subject, the focal point of this second verse, second sentence in the verse is peace. But then notice what happens in the third sentence of this verse, and always be thankful. He moved from talking about peace to gratitude. Here's what I want you to see. Could it be, and my answer is yes, it is, because the Bible, Bible gives it to us, a relationship between peace and gratitude. I believe the answer is yes. I believe that this is not coincidental that the Apostle Paul connected the concept of peace with gratitude. He says you've got to be thankful because thanksgiving is essential for living in peace. By saying thank you, I value, I appreciate you. I realize that you're, 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 you're beneficial to my life. And when you pour those words in, that's when the Bible says there's power in your words. Life and death speak life. Make sure that you're thankful because a, gra- a grateful attitude will allow you to have a lot more peace in the relationships of your life. Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart, something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. In the wake of recent events regarding abortion, three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. 
with in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.